9 a.m. on the nose now, and you are tuned into 89.5 FM, KOPN Columbia, Mid-Missouri's source for in-depth news, diverse talk, and music of the world. So much more than radio. So very pleased and proud to be your listener-supported and volunteer-operated community radio station. And it is time for Community Pulse, your locally produced program on the COVID-19 crisis here in Mid-Missouri. Today on the program, as always, we're pleased to welcome back Dr. Elizabeth Alleman. The topic for today is something of a thorny one. Current circumstances have citizens across the United States feeling as if they have a civic obligation to protest, exercise their First Amendment rights. We're going to talk about that with Dr. Alleman today, along with some other things that are relevant in terms of (coughs) safety, tear gas, rubber bullets, everything related to protesting in this time of an unprecedented pandemic. Good morning, Dr. Alleman. How are you? Good morning. I am humbled and a little disoriented, and I think that I'm probably not the only one. I assure you, you are not alone. It's a big topic, and um, as we talked about what we would want to say about this as a group, um, uh, Mallory and Jenny pointed out that um, the group of us who run this are all white presenting people, and we are all over the age of the folks who are probably on the front lines of this. So um, I just want to recognize that it's not about me. And um, it is a challenge to know what to say about this, but I don't think it makes sense to be silent. And I also just want to say that throughout my experience with KOPN, KOPN has been a very white presenting organization. And I know that people have worked to change it, but we have not done enough. We do not have a diverse enough board. Our volunteers and show programmers are not diverse enough. We do not reflect the diversity of our community. And I just want to admit that that's the truth. So here we are, a white white group of people in a white organization trying to talk about something like this. So, yeah. Um, so first, uh, the numbers, and again, I, Jenny, did a great job yesterday of uh, breaking down the numbers racially. I wasn't able to easily access this this morning, and so I'll be up in my game next week. Um, so, uh, world stats, um, total in the world, uh, 6,607,919, uh, documented cases, with uh, 389,000 people died and close to 3 million people recovering. In the United States, we are creeping up on 2 million documented cases, 1,903,868. With 109,000 people died and uh, 690 or so people recovering. And in Missouri, um, we have 14,290 cases. 95% of counties are reporting cases and 805 deaths, most of those in the St. Louis area. Um, uh, In Boone County, we have 156 cases, and we now have two deaths documented. Um, And... um, what we know about those cases from a racial perspective is that uh, 
black people are way overrepresented among the cases and the deaths than they are represented in the population. And we are probably going to spend several decades trying to figure out exactly why, but the uh, disparities of uh, access to um, healthy living, all the things that are required for um, healthy living are um, there's discrepancies about their racial disparities in those things from access to good education, clean water, clean air, healthy food, opportunities for exercise, um, safety from the police, um, good health care. Um, it just keeps going uh, and going. So um, our numbers, um, oh, the trend in our numbers uh, tends to still be a little bit on the upswing, but at this point, a very, fairly flat curve. Um, so, uh, yeah, we I think we've flattened the curve. We have not overwhelmed our uh, system, and um, we are experimenting with uh, loosening of our restrictions. Okay. And then in the midst of all of that, uh, we have legitimate reasons for people to want to get out on the streets and express their uh, dismay. My apologies. It uh, seems as if we've lost Dr. Alleman there. Uh, we'll go ahead and get her back on the line for you in the meantime. Uh, we do apologize, and <clears throat> we'll get her back just as soon as I possibly can. Okay, uh, I do uh, believe we have you back now. <laughs> if you'd like yeah, to go okay. ahead and uh, continue where we uh, where we left off. Yeah, so I'm not sure where the call dropped, but when I was when I heard the call say it was dropped, we're talking about these conflicting things of inside for safety or outside to make a living or speak up for um, uh, uh, people who are standing up for themselves. Um, and I don't know what's the right thing to do. Almost certainly when we are all, when people are out on the streets and together like this, we will see an increase in COVID cases and eventually we will see an increase in COVID deaths. And at the same time, um, continuing with the status quo means ongoing, um, means that the status quo continues and that seems to be a danger to uh, communities of color. And you're uh, confident in this despite the fact that uh, protesters have PPE on, such as masks and gloves and, and so on and so forth. Okay, so first of all, let's just be, I just want to be, I don't want to get distracted, but um, gloves are not helpful in this right. particular virus. Yes. But mass, so people, so let's get into safety. I think that a lot of people are going to have a hard time being, um, doing all the things that are going to minimize or eliminate the risk of transmitting the virus. But being outside is better than being inside. Wearing a mask is better than not wearing a mask. And by better, I mean reduces your risk of transmission of this virus or giving it to someone else or getting it yourself. Um, uh, being farther apart from people is better than being closer to people. Raising your voice and singing, shouting, chanting is going to, best we know, increase your, the dispersal of virus particles. Um, so silence is better than shouting. Um, and tear gas is a risk factor for 
uh, developing a respiratory illness. So these are studies done pre-COVID times, but when military recruits are exposed deliberately to tear gas in the next two weeks, they're twice as likely to develop a respiratory illness and need to seek medical attention. So um, exposure to tear gas is going to increase the risk of people getting COVID, I would think. Um, the other thing is that many people are being arrested, and what we know is that jails are places of high transmissibility, especially when a lot of people are arrested altogether. And I think it's, it would be very difficult for a mask to eliminate the risk of transmission in those circumstances. Um, so, uh, and then, you know, if people are struck by cars or struck by rubber bullets or um, injured in other ways, then they end up needing care in a healthcare uh, facility like a hospital or a doctor's office or an emergency room. And those are also places where um, we would expect that uh, transmission of the virus would be a little higher risk. So it's hard to imagine that this cultural phenomenon as a whole is not going to increase the risk of transmission of the virus. I see. Are there no masks? I mean, uh, there are a variety of masks that can protect against the microns and this virus. There are presumably none that are 100% safe, but I imagine that there are some that are uh, more effective than others, certainly more effective than the, the standard paper masks that we, that we get. Sure. Issue. Yeah, and then we're back to the issue of, you know, if we use those masks and then they become, we still have supply chain issues and then they become less available to healthcare providers and who's more important. And those are questions I don't even want to get into. But an N95 mask that is carefully fitted through a process that requires that, you know, you put it on, it's sized to your face, you don't have facial hair. Um, and then uh, the fit is tested by spraying a sweet substance in the air and then asking whether you can taste the, the sweetness. Is the process for um, making an N95 mask a, um, an effective barrier um, for use in healthcare settings? These are uncomfortable to wear for very long and are usually in a healthcare setting combined with um, uh, goggles of a particular requirement. And so to provide that kind of care on the street for very long um, in circumstances where people are exposed to weather and moving around a lot, it's hard to imagine that's going to be as effective as it would be in a healthcare setting. And um, it's not 100% effective even in a healthcare setting. So, so you're right. We could theoretically figure out a way to do it. What I'm seeing on the pictures, though, Peter, is that not everybody's wearing masks when they protest. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you put it uh, quite eloquently when you said that you were very, very humbled by this topic. And I emphasize again that we are uh, not a very diverse team running the Community Pulse Board right. at the moment. We would very much like to be uh, a more We would team. welcome participation if Certainly. there was someone who, and, and, and I am open to changing the format and changing the structure and the topic. If someone said, oh, I think we can do it better, I'm, I'm open to that. Um, but yeah. Well, we do have um, uh, African-American board operators here at the station. Um, <clears throat> we have a, a great gospel show on uh, Saturday mornings. I'm not quite sure what the status of it is right now. It is difficult for commentators such as us to address what is a triplicate crisis within the African-American community. 
Uh, first, we know that the virus disproportionately affects minority communities. Secondly, right. we know that the unemployment statistics are disproportionately affecting uh, minority communities. And then we right. have this whole civil rights issue that has been bubbling over for some time, demands some sort of response, uh, as it, is, it appears that uh, <coughs> conditions have, are not improving. So we do welcome feedback and we welcome those voices. That is what we do as a community radio station is provide right. voices to members of this community. Um, as Dr. Allman was pointing out, there are health and safety concerns, not just from through the act of protesting itself, uh, but also through exposure to tear gas. Um, we could talk about rubber bullets as well. But do those arguments really tread water against somebody who feels the need that, uh, you know, who is had family members who have been affected by this virus, who has had family members who have lost jobs, who are facing eviction right now, uh, and furthermore are actually uh, confronted with the fact that law enforcement often treats their communities as second-class citizens. Those are yeah. obviously voices that we need to, uh, to hear from. And mm -hmm. as KOPN continues uh, <coughs> to open up, and, and we, we are an all-volunteer radio station, uh, anyone can come in here and, and uh, <clears throat> you know, with a, through working with our broadcast coordinator and, and general manager, eventually uh, get themselves a show. We are taking all necessary precautions during this pandemic, of course. But um, it is <clears throat> very much an invitation to hear more of those voices that we would like to, right. to emphasize on the air today. Uh, because the safety concerns are one thing, but, the, one thing, but there's a triplicate crisis confronting the community that seems to uh, uh, attack it. That is, that is something that I'm not qualified to report on, I would, <laughs> I would say. No, no. And, you know, I was, I've been really, I've been really challenged and, um, uh, I don't know, whatever, uh, inspired by the words of Trevor Noah, who is talking about a, a breaking of the social contract, that we have these, unspoken agreements, these social contracts that just because you walk by something in the store that you like, you won't take it. Um, and Or that uh, we're not going to just hit each other on the street, that we're going to drive in the right lanes of the car, the, the road. And many of these have laws behind them, but some of them don't. And um, what protests and demonstrations and rallies and actions by their very nature, are a breaking of the social contract. That's the point. When it is saying we're not doing things the way we typically do because things need to change. And so it's the question of like how much of a breaking of the social contract is necessary to shift this other breaking of the social contract, which is my assumption is that the police are there to protect and serve, not to kill the civilian uh, population. And, and I think all of us who make those statements understand there may be some circumstances in which um, the death of a civilian at the hand of a, um, a police officer is, is unavoidable. But I think we are all saying that we aren't seeing enough effort being made to avoid that. Indeed. And um, we, are, we would like for the police to be way more active and that other leaders uh, should be doing things to change this, the system as well. So we've got one broken social contract that is that the police won't deliberately kill um, uh, the community members and that that appears very clearly to have been broken. And so then um, people on, uh, who are saying, no, we don't like that, 
are saying, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to minimize the clarity with which they're saying that, um, are try are also breaking the social contract of saying, well, we're not going to do what it is that you expect us of either, of us either. And so Trevor was saying, people saying, well, what is what good is looting do? And he says, I think we should also ask, what good does not looting do? I am not calling for looting. Do not. I'm a property owner. I like the stuff I have. I, you know, I, I'm not. I. It's. It saddens me when people destroy property as well. I'm an environmentalist. It means we now got to make it all again. Um, and at the same time, I think that for those of us who are in a place of privilege to criticize the actions of other people who are breaking the social norms is um, is not right. And at the same time, we are also going to see people breaking this social norm of please wear a mask, please stay away from people, please stay inside when you can, please don't do mass gatherings. That it's an unfortunate coming together, but I don't think it is just a coincidence that this is when uh, people are rising up. Um, in terms of, of weathering the, the pandemic going forward, um, one of the most important statistics, it seems to be the uh, the ability of hospitals to uh, absorb uh, new infection rates. Um, this right. is the reason that uh, in my home country of, of Germany that they went with what they called affordable audacity uh, towards the beginning of the month and undertook a rather bold reopening of society is because they believed they had enough spare hospital beds right. to weather a spike in traffic. Um, I wanted to get your opinion on this as a physician because it appears as if, and we, we talked last week a lot about um, potential treatment options. Uh, that was a mm -hmm. fascinating discussion. So much of that is so very far away. Um, is yep. it, uh, as we move forward, I mean, we will see a rise um, in infections. Uh, is the capacity for spare hospital beds, in, to your knowledge, that's, that's probably one of the more important things. Do you think that we've by slowing this down through lockdown over the last 90 days, do you think that we've at least hit, I mean, there's so many goals that we haven't hit. We haven't hit uh, uh, ramped up testing. We haven't hit uh, all sorts of things. But uh, is that to your satisfaction maybe going to be able to help us weather some of the rises in infections? This is not a call for every, anyone to go out and get themselves infected and get it over right, with no. by, <laughs> by any stretch and, of the imagination. And one of the, one of the things we have, Peter, is we have this private healthcare system and um, what that means is that each hospital is its own, well, many hospitals are their own independent business. And there's voluntary reporting of bed capacity through the Missouri Hospital Association, which is also a private organization. And that reporting has been um, uh, difficult to really assess the shifts and changes in it. Um, so I don't know, and I'm not sure I know who does know. And uh, but it appears the hospitals in Missouri seem to be behaving as if they they believe they have adequate capacity because they have resumed um, non-essential, non-emergent procedures. And it's hard to know whether they're how they're making those decisions. Again, we have a, a private for-profit healthcare industry in the United States, which we could go on and on about whether that's a good idea. I would think that in a time of pandemic many of the weaknesses of a for-profit healthcare system are showing. And one of them is that the hospitals, when they had to stop their um, uh, non-emergency procedures, 
began to, uh, to quote a friend of mine, began to just bleed money. That they were laying off staff, they were having huge financial challenges, and so there's this pressure for them to resume uh, business as usual in order to survive, because economic collapse would also make their their services unavailable to our communities. It was a shock, I believe, to any of us following the unemployment data to realize that the the healthcare industry was also engaging in massive layoffs. <laughs> Yes. That was in, yes. Uh, yes. Right, because we don't treat healthcare workers the way we treat soldiers and police officers, and there are many ways that we. I am glad for that, but we don't believe that it's a value. We don't act like it's a value to continue to pay nurses, doctors, respiratory therapists, physical therapists, the, the thousands of people who it takes to you know run a, a, a hospital um, when they aren't busy to hold them in reserve and to pay them and to say, yeah, we're going to find um, things for you to do um, and we're going to shift around our uh, healthcare workforce as needed. But no, if you've signed up to be this kind of a person, we're going to keep you employed. And and if we, what we're doing for right now for a month or two is not having you be very busy while we figure out whether there's a storm coming and you're going to be really busy, that's a valuable investment of money. And we kind of can't do that with a for-profit uh, company. The other thing is because of the way the way we regulate uh, for-profit healthcare is through lawsuits, and it apparently is in the best interest of healthcare businesses to not keep financial reserves around because then they are much more likely to lose those in a lawsuit. So money gets shifted around and spent in ways that there aren't financial reserves. So We've got a. So you asked me a simple question: Do we have enough reserves in in Missouri to be able to to lift our our um, our restrictions on movement? I don't know. A- apparently, we have some reserves because I think if we were busting at the seams, we would stop doing some of the um, elective procedures that have now resumed. That is actually a very good answer and a very honest one. And as I've said uh, before. <laughs> I trust the wisdom of someone who admits that they do not know much, much more than I do someone who would uh, purport to be able to see the future uh, throughout this unprecedented pandemic. Well, thank you very much for your time, Dr. Alleman. You're welcome. Thank Um, you. Thank you for all that you've done for KOPN uh, throughout this. This is uh, now, I believe, the 55th show of Community Pulse. And also, you're on a tight turnaround shift after uh, hosting the first live Your Health Matters yesterday evening so yeah it's kopn yeah. all the time in my life right now so <laughs> i couldn't couldn't be happier and more honored to be a part of this community uh, uh resource um during this uh, time of stress for the community well indeed we are also honored and on that note there is a bit of positive news uh, heading into the weekend we're no longer doing community polls on uh Fridays, of course. I would like to say that uh, yesterday's one-day pledge drive was an absolute massive success. So many of us were so very touched to watch members of our community donate online, donate through social media, and also give us a call here at the studio. We were able to raise over $20,000 in one single day. That is what an amazing community we live in. 
And as Dr. Olam and I were discussing, we welcome new voices on this community radio station. That is what community radio is for. It is the voice of the local population. Today we were discussing the trade-offs between exercising one's First Amendment rights and staying safe in a time of pandemic. It is a thorny issue, and we welcome voices and opinions particularly from those a little bit more qualified to speak on the subject than uh, those of us running the Community Pulse Board. In any event, we have an abridged episode of Background Briefing coming up next. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to Community Pulse, and thank you to Dr. Alleman. We wish you a pleasant weekend. Hope that everyone stays safe. 89.5 FM, your listener-supported and volunteer-operated community radio station.